I've struggled back and forth with maybe I didn't haven't done things as well as I could and and then I have to remember that his grace is there for me and he's really um, just been amazing to, to to bless me with the rewards of me spending more time with him I think he has spent or he has definitely grown me and matured me in ways that you know I was praying that would happen and it is and I can see that happening in my life I came to Christ originally you know as a, as a child young you know I was um, grew up going to church and my mom shared with with us you know when we were really young that you know we had to invite the Lord into our heart and so I did I remember walking to school one morning you know probably in second grade maybe and I remember praying that um, you know the Lord would come into my heart and I think then there was kind of a long season of just not a lot of growth and you know it really wasn't until I was um, even out of college that I really started um, growing more and, and um, developing a better relationship with the Lord, a deeper one, you know. And that's really where the fruit started to um, develop. You know, as I grew, I, originally when I first started really attending uh, Big Valley and, and the more of the personal relationship with the Lord, that was um, something that I didn't grow up hearing as much, you know. Um, I felt I was kind of behind in some ways as I was a little older, you know, but I wasn't, I just kind of felt the Lord pulling me in and to spend time with Him, and I really spent a lot of time with him, the Lord, trying to grow closer to Him and spending time in His Word, and um, so that really helped me to feel a lot closer to the Lord. I guess my journey has been a lot about kind of trying to transform and, and having allowing God to transform me through the different Bible studies I've been in, the different ministries that I've been involved with, and um, helping me to have more confidence in doing, you know, things that at one time I probably wouldn't have done, you know, just out of, you know, fear and, and insecurities and whatnot. So. Um, the Lord has really, you know, blessed me with, the, you know, being able to um, kind of come out of that shell a little bit more and, and to be more open to hopefully helping other people in that way, you know, you know, being involved in ministries where, you know, I can, you know, share what God's, you know, sh sharing with me and maybe that will encourage them as well. That's by His grace that He is doing that. It's one of the, the, the great things about being a pastor of a church like this is that you get to hear the stories of how Christ is changing lives. And if you're visiting with us, we each week just put a little vignette of one of our family members whose life's being changed by, by Christ. I want to welcome those of you that are over in the venue and man, great crowd over there and the worship was just really fantastic over there. So I want to welcome you if you're listening online and we have hundreds of people that listen online. I'm, I'm grateful for all of you, and, and uh, you might be listening on the radio program or whatever, and we're just grateful that, that you're listening. You're part of what we're doing here. If you are visiting with us, um, inside this shell, all of the, the verses that I'm going to talk about are in here, or they'll end up on the jumbotrons, whether you're here or you're over in the venue, because we want you to see the, the Word of God for yourself. 
the Bible says in Psalms chapter 119, your, your word is like a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Isn't that real descriptive? The Holy Spirit fills the, the great king of Israel, King David, and has him pin those words that the, the word, the, the, the Bible is like a, like a lamp for our feet. It's like a light for our, our path. The Bible is like a, a road map for our lives. Maybe a modern day uh, illustration would be it's, it's like a GPS system for our, for our lives. It guides us. It keeps us on the right path. It helps us to know what's right and what's wrong. It helps us to know what God's will is for our lives. You see, one of the things that you'll find is that Christians have lots of opinions about things. People have lots of opinions about things. They have things they like, things they don't like. They have thoughts about this and thoughts about that. And nothing wrong with opinions and thoughts, but what matters is, is what does God have to say? And in my almost 30 years here at Big Valley Grace, uh, lots of Christians have ideas and thoughts and opinions and preferences. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. But what matters is, is what does God's word have to say? Which is why each weekend here at Big Valley Grace, if you're visiting with us, I take a little little portion of the Bible. Today it'll be 12 verses. And we read it together and we try to kind of pick it apart a little bit and see what God would, would have to say for us. Because it really is the guidepost to our lives. It's the GPS system for our lives. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, but man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, this morning you got up and you ate breakfast. I don't know, you had some toast or pancakes or post-toasties or whatever it is you ate because your physical body needed food. In a little while, you'll go eat lunch because your physical body needs some food. But Jesus said, because you're a human being, you're different. You're made in God's image. Whales aren't made in God's image. Uh, Buzzards aren't made in God's image. Fish are not made in God's image. They're created by God, but they're not made in his image. We as human beings are made in God's image. It's what gives our life dignity and sanctity. It's what makes human beings different than everything else is because we're made in his image. And because we're made in his image, we need something more than toast. We need something more than hamburgers. We need something more than steaks or pizzas. We need another kind of food. We need food for our souls. And the only place you get that food is in the word of God, Jesus says, which is why everything we do around here at Big Valley Grace revolves around the the, the word of God. Now, for those of you that are, are visiting with us, we're in a series here where we're going through a book of the Bible called the book of Philippians. It was actually a letter that this man named Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a, in a town called Philippi. And I've got a special message for all of the, the men today. As I was reading this and studying it, I, for whatever reason, was just drawn to the fact that, that somehow this really applies to men. Now, ladies, it'll apply to you also. 
but, but I think you'll see how this really applies to, to men. So if you are here today, you're over in the venue, I want you just to stand up if you're a guy, okay? All the guys uh, stand up r- right now, okay? I want to pray for you. Just all the men stand up. And I just want you to close your eyes for a second, just, just everybody, just, just close your eyes for a moment. Just want to get you alone. Don't worry about your spouse, your girlfriend, whoever, your kids. Just. And I want you to listen to me carefully, men. Being a male is a matter of your birth. You're either born a male or you're born a female. But being a man is a matter of choice. And unfortunately, in my opinion, there's not a lot of men in our world today. There are lots of males, but not a lot of men. And the reason why is because there's such confusion out in the world today as what a real man is. And so I hope that somehow, guys, you hear from the Lord today. Because it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What matters is, what, what does God have to say? Father, thanks for all these guys that are standing here, those guys that are standing over in the venue. Thanks for all the guys that are at home right now listening on the internet. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today. Speak to these guys, Lord. Lord, speak to the gals that are here also. I know you have a word for them, but, but God, my prayer is that you'd really speak to our guys. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, you can grab a seat. In Philippians chapter 2, you can turn there and read it in your own Bible, or you can look on your notes or whatever. It says this in verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're all getting along. I have no one else like Timothy. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not what, for, not what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in the preaching of the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon as well. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother. He's a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to me in my time of need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard that he was ill. And certainly he was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you could not do from far away. 
Men, there were, there were two phrases that stuck out to me as I read this this last couple of weeks, especially this past week. Number one, Paul said, I have no one else like Timothy. I just thought that was an amazing statement. The great apostle Paul says, man, there's nobody like that man. I mean, there must have been something really special about that man for the great apostle Paul to make that statement. Then the second phrase was this, referring to Epaphroditus. Paul said, hold men like him in highest honor. Hold men like that guy in highest honor. What made these two men so different? What made these two men so special? What is it about them that, that we as men you know, could, could, could learn? Well, there's a number of things that I see in our text, and I'm only gonna zero in on, on four, okay? These are four things that made these men different. These are four values of a real man. These are four values of a godly man. Someone once said that a man's greatness is not determined by the value of his wealth, but by the, value, by, but by the wealth of his values. Isn't that good? Timothy and Epaphroditus didn't have two nickels they could rub together. They didn't have a big house, didn't have a big car, didn't have any of that kind of stuff. But they were men that were just wealthy in values. And like I said, this isn't going to be a comprehensive list of all the things that I see, but, but four that I hope would be a blessing to, to all of you. Number one, real men, godly men, are concerned about others. They care deeply about others. Verse 20 says, I have no one else like Timothy. And then what's the first thing Paul says? Timothy genuinely cares about your welfare. He's a man that cares deeply about what's happening in your life. And then he says, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. You see, there are men who somehow are able to, to, to see others and see the needs in, 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 in others and care about others. And then there are some men who love to navel gaze. They care about themselves. They, 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 don't, they don't really care all that much about what's happening in other people's lives. Men, people matter to God. People matter to Jesus Christ, and because people matter to God, they have to matter to us. A real man is able to get his eyeballs off himself so that he can see the needs of others. Godly men make it their mission to care about others. Listen to the, 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 the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. It says this. Jesus said there was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. And he asked himself, what shall I do? For I don't have space to store my harvest. In other words, God was blessing him with so much, he didn't have room for it all, right? 
So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there shall store all my grain and other goods. And then I'll say to myself, now as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, be merry. (laughs) His eyeballs were totally on himself, weren't they? But God said to this man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And the things you have stored up, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for the one who stores up treasures for himself, but is not rich in what matters to God. Men, all this guy thought about was himself. I mean, it never entered his mind that maybe the reason God had blessed him with so much stuff was that he could somehow be a greater blessing to those that were less fortunate. All he thought about was meeting his own needs. I'm going to build bigger barns, you know. I'll open up multiple bank accounts and multiple banks. A great modern day translation might be, you know, uh, he went out and got a storage unit. That way I don't have to give any of my stuff away. Our houses are so jam-packed full of stuff. We have these little places that we rent out to put more stuff. Because we're certainly not going to give it away. Certainly there can't be somebody who might need this stuff. Let me tell you something. This story in Luke chapter 12... (laughs) Every time you drive by a mini storage place, you got to think of Luke chapter 12. And God's response was, you're a fool. Because you're not rich in what really matters. Did you see that last little phrase there? You're not rich in what really matters to God. And what is that? What really matters to God? And I'll tell you, you talk to some Christians and it's unbelievable what really matters to them. Some Christians are so shallow in what matters and, and they make big deals about you know, things that literally do not matter to God. But what does matter to God? What really matters to him? Well, in Galatians chapter five, we're given a little taste of at least one thing that matters to him. In Galatians chapter five, it says, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, when we become a follower of Christ, when we name the name of Christ, when we become a Christian, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important is faith, your belief in God, your trust in God, expressing itself in love. (laughs) That's what matters to God. That somehow when you receive Christ into your life, that it moves you in such a way that you would love. In other words, God says what matters in life isn't your accomplishments or your fame or your wealth or how much you have stored up in barns or banks or whatever. What matters in life is is that your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ, somehow makes you a better lover. A better lover of God and a better lover of the people that he made in his very image. You see, what matters to God is that when you receive him into your life, somehow it causes you to love him greater. 
And it causes you to love the people that he hung on a cross for better. Dr. MacArthur said it like this, saving faith proves its genuine character by works of love. And in my humble opinion, too many Christian men miss this. I think the, you know, the average Christian guy gets the fact that they're a sinner, they get the fact that they need a savior. I think the average Christian man gets the fact that there's a heaven and a hell. I think the average Christian man gets the fact that you know, church is important. I think the average Christian man gets you know, the, the, the point that they need to read their Bibles and study their Bibles and, and pray and all that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, too many Christian men miss the love part. They miss the, the, the caring part. Now, a great example of, a, a, of the man who valued people, who cared about people, is the Samaritan in Luke chapter 12. And this is just a fantastic story that Jesus tells. It says this in chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, Jesus, rabbi, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a great question. Some of you are here, and, and that's a question you've got. How do I get to go to heaven? How do, how do I have eternal life? And now Jesus is going to answer the question. We're all going to get this great moment to see what Jesus says. And this is what it says. Jesus replied to this young, this young guy, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And this young guy answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, you do this and you'll live. You do this, and you've got eternal life. Jesus said, here's the deal. If you love God, if you would love him with all your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength, if you would love him, worship him, and that you would love those that he created in his image, you're in. Well, the story goes on. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and uh, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I mean, if that's what gets me into heaven, is loving, you know, my neighbor, who is it? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Bummer. By chance, a priest came along. Woo! Whew, lucky guy. The religious guys is coming by. The pastor's coming by. Woohoo! But he saw the man lying there and he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, another religious person. And looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. That's crummy. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, and you go do the same. Wow. How do I get to heaven? Jesus said, here's how you get to heaven. You've got to love God. You've got to love God with everything you got, every cell in your body. You've got to surrender your life over to God. And the proof of that will be the fact that you love the people that he died on a cross for. You'll love your neighbor like yourself. And who is your neighbor? A stranger. A stranger you might meet on a street corner somewhere. You know, sometimes the word of God doesn't need a lot of commentary. You just read it and look at it and go, whoa, and you let it do its job. And one of the things about a real man, a godly man, a godly woman, is they care about other people. They care. They're concerned about others. I know some men that are so wrapped up in themselves and, and they're wrapped up in their business and they're wrapped up in their jobs and they're wrapped up in their hobbies and they're wrapped up in video games that they're no longer daddies, they're mummies. Let me talk to all the single ladies in the house. <laughs> you know, it's a free country. You know, you get to choose any guy you want. Might be dating somebody right now. Does that guy care deeply about other people? Do you see it in his life? Do you? Or is he so wrapped up with an Xbox? Look at, ladies, you know, there are times I'm just amazed at who, who, who you pick. Really? Seven billion people on the planet? And that's the dude? Wow, <laughs> he's cute. He's got a car. <laughs> yeah, boy, there, boy, you've set the bar high. You've really... Let me tell you something, ladies. You start dating a guy, you gotta look at his life. Does he really care about other people? Is he concerned about others? How does he treat his mama? How does he treat his dad? How does he treat his brothers? You got a heart for the brokenhearted? Or is it just this? 
navel-gazing. Cares a lot about himself. And by the way, that goes both ways. Guys, it's a free country, isn't it? You can date anybody you want. You can marry anybody you want. Choose wisely. These are things that you could look at in your life. Some of you need to unwrap yourselves from all the stuff, the, the, the businesses and the jobs and the hobbies and all the stuff so that you might better see the people that God brings into your life. God brought a spouse into your life. God brought kids into your life. God brought people into your life. God brings a, 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 you know, someone to mow your lawn to your house each week. God brings somebody over to check your pool each week. God brings all these people into your life. But you can be so wrapped up in you that you miss it. And you don't even care about them. You don't care about what's happening in their life. You're not concerned about what's going down in their life. And so they come over and they mow your lawn and then they leave and you didn't even think anything about it. You don't even know what's happening in their life. And maybe if you did, who knows how that might impact the kingdom. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, don't merely look out for yourselves. Look out for the good of others also. One of the distinguishing marks of a real man, a godly man, is that they care deeply about others. Paul said that Timothy was a man that genuinely cared about others. He genuinely cared about others while everybody else he knew, basically, all they did was care about themselves. They didn't care about the things that mattered to God. Obviously, Jesus cared deeply about people, didn't he? All you have to do is look at a cross and go, man, he cared about people. He died on that thing for people. Number two, real men, godly men, work hard to maintain their integrity. Look at verse 22. He says, but you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father, he served with me in preaching the good news. That word proved means that, that Timothy was tested. His character was tested. What he believed in was, was tested. What he valued was tested. His integrity was tested, and he passed the test. He proved himself. And ladies, you're dating some guy? You gotta look at their integrity. Have they proved themselves? They got character, they're standing on something, you know what they believe in? Have they proved themselves? Are they working hard to maintain what, whatever integrity they might have? In Acts chapter 16 it says that Timothy was well thought of by the believers. He was well thought of, he had proved himself. He worked hard to maintain his character, his integrity. Godly men prove themselves by not caving into pressure. Godly men prove themselves by not conforming to the world. Godly men prove themselves by not being afraid to be different than the culture. Godly men prove themselves by not being afraid to, to stand alone. I was wondering, men, what are you willing to stand for? 
Do do, do you have some things in your life, some principles in your life that you say, you know what, I'm standing on that. I believe that. I've done a lot of weddings. And before every wedding, you know, a little couple, you know, they make their way down to the front. And there they are. And there's not a wedding I don't do that before I do anything else, I just kind of stop and I look at the audience. And I say, now listen, you all have an important role here today. If you've been to one of my weddings, you know. And I tell them, look, you know, your job isn't that you brought them a new toaster, as good as that is. Your job, your role isn't that you brought them a new set of dishes or a bowl or whatever, as good as that is. Every young couple needs a bowl, (laughs) a toaster or six. I tell them, you're here to be the witnesses to the vows that they're going to make to one another. Now, 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 ladies, single ladies, it's important The character piece, the integrity piece is important because this guy's going to make a vow. Richer, poor, sickness, health, whatever, whatever all those things are, they're going to be committed to you. Important that your man have a little integrity, eh? You think that's important? Guys, do you think it's important that this gal who's going to make vows in front of witnesses. It's important that you've established the fact that they've proved their character, that they've proved their integrity. Absolutely it is. See, godly men have convictions. Godly men can't be bought at any price. Godly men are committed to their values Godly men are are consistent in their beliefs and their convictions. The problem is I think too many men don't even know what their values are. They don't even know what their convictions are. They they don't even know much about this book and so they don't even know what they stand for. But a real man, he has to work hard to maintain his integrity. Because it takes, it takes work. All kinds of forces that come at us to try to get us to blow off our, our character, our integrity. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10 says, the man of integrity walks securely. Why? Because there's nothing in their life that they have to worry about. Proverbs chapter 20 says, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are the children who follow them. One version says, it's a wonderful heritage to have an honest father or a dad who's full of integrity. Man, listen, if you're, if you're inconsistent in your walk with God, the chances are great that you'll produce insecure children. And here's why. They don't know where you're coming from. Hey, you know, church is important. We gotta take little Johnny down to, you know, Club 56, or I got to get, you know, Julie down to junior high group, but dad doesn't go to church. They don't know where you're coming from. There's no integrity in that. You don't really value it, dad, because you don't go. But you want me to go. Huh? How does that work? 
It is a wonderful heritage for a, a child, a, a son or a daughter to grow up with a dad who has worked hard to maintain their, their integrity. In Job chapter 2, we, we get to enter into an incredible conversation between God and the devil, Satan. And it says this, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Job is an incredible man in scripture. He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity even though, Satan, you urged me to harm him without cause. And I know God would say that about many of you in this room. I know, I know a lot of you. And you have worked hard to maintain your integrity. You're great men of integrity. Some of you are younger and you're beginning to you know, earn your, your integrity. You're, you're on the front end of that. But I want you to know it won't be easy. All kinds of people will come at you and all kinds of scenarios will be thrown at you to try to get, to, get, get you to goof up your integrity. In fact, it happened to Job. Verse 9, it says, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? You know, sometimes your spouse will do all that they can to mess up your integrity and then go both ways. Always people in your life who will come along and try to get you to, to, to somehow, uh, you know, just compromise a little bit on your values. They're everywhere. But a godly man, a real man, works hard to maintain their integrity. There's a great book that you ought to have. It's written by Bill Hybels. It's called... Uh, who are you when no one's looking? Just buy it for the title. That's integrity. Who are you when no one's around? Your reputation is just who people see. You can fake some. You can, people have great reputations, but they're horrible in their integrity. Integrity, character is who you are when no one's looking. No one's around. It's just you in an empty house. Now look, I know some of you are just going, oh dude, my chest. I wish I hadn't came today. I remember Rick said he was going to talk to the guys. I forgot. I should have called in sick. <laughs> I know the feeling. And I want you to know something. I'm glad you're having that feeling. Because that tells me that you truly know the Lord. That God's spirit lives inside of you. You're not having a heart attack. That's just the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what a beautiful thing. Because you could leave here today and go, you know what? I was talking with a guy last night. He gets home. And he's not a man of great integrity. He didn't work very hard at his integrity. And he sat down with his wife and he said, I want you to know I heard from the Lord tonight. And things are going to be different in my life. I want to be a man of integrity. Would you forgive me? And he went and got his two teenage kids and said, hey, your dad heard from the Lord tonight. And I've been a good provider. 
I put a roof over your head and made sure you had clothes and you never missed a meal. But I've not been a very good example to you of what integrity is. And that's going to change, and I need you to forgive me. And pray for your dad. That probably took him two minutes, maybe a minute. <laughs> what a great moment for God and his kingdom. Satan got it, and God won because a man humbled himself. He sensed the Holy Spirit in his life. And that's the thing about coming to a family like this, if you're visiting. We don't come in here and give nice little speeches and try to make everybody feel real good, and they walk out the door. Sometimes that happens. But sometimes you're dealing with weighty stuff. And sometimes we go, wow, God's working in my life. And by the way, that can be true of some of you gals in here. Some of you gals may need to do some repenting in your homes tonight. Number three, real men, godly men understand the importance of relationships. Verse 25 says, meanwhile, Paul says, I thought I'd send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother. That wasn't good enough. He's a co-worker. That wasn't good enough. And he's a fellow soldier. This is one of the great, great Bible verses for, for men right here. Men, let me give you three thoughts about the Christian life. Number one, the Christian life is a community of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Over 133 times in the New Testament, Paul uses the word brother to describe the relationship between Christians. We're family. Number two, the Christian life is a community of co-workers serving the Lord. The idea here is that we serve together, not independently, but, but together. We're not a community of co-bosses. And that's the way it turns out sometimes. We're not co-bosses. We're co-workers. We have a boss. We work together. We're family and we work together. And then number three, the Christian life is a community of soldiers battling for the Lord. Men, when you gave your life to Christ, you became an enemy of the devil and, and you can't take him on by yourself. You need others that can, that can help defend you, help protect you, help support you. We're fellow soldiers. We're, we're in a platoon together. Men, let me ask you a question. Can other Christian men use these terms about you? Would anybody, would any other guy call you their brother in the Lord because you're doing life with them? Now, I know you're looking at the back of some guy's neck, and he's theoretically your brother. I get it. I'm talking about where you're in relationship with that guy, where they would say, that's my brother. That's my brother. That's my brother. How about this? Would anybody call you their coworker? Because you have a place of, of service together with other guys, the choir, the orchestra, the band, you're serving with teenagers, you're, you're serving in a children's ministry, you're walking a parking lot, you're an usher, you're a greeter. You go visiting people in the, in the hospital, you, you go visit people and talk with them about Christ, evangelism. Is there somebody who you would go, that's my, that's my co-laborer. I serve with that 
that guy. How about the last one? Would anybody call you their fellow soldier? Would anybody say, man, that, that guy right there is a soldier with me. That guy's a soldier with me. Man, we got an enemy, and the enemy's way better than I am, and that guy right there's got my back. I'm in a foxhole with that guy right there. And I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit gave Paul these three words. Because there are times when we are brothers in the Lord. Some of the some of my small group is here. Jeff Greep's right back there, and he's in my small group. And, and man, he'll, he'll be over tonight, and, and, and we're, we're brothers. Brothers in the Lord, man. Hanging out, laughing, drinking some tea, eating some, you know, uh, you know desserts or whatever. We're brothers. But you know what? There are times when we're, we're not brothers. We're, we're, we're co- co-laborers. I have people that I'm co-laborers with. And then sometimes, man, we're not even co-laborers, man. The enemy's attacking my brother. And so now we're fellow soldiers. And so we go from brothers to to working together, serving the Lord, to, to, to literally in warfare with one another. And that's the Christian life. And a real man gets it. A real man understands they need brothers. A real man understands they have fellow workers for the kingdom. A real man understands that they have fellow soldiers. Ladies, you're dating somebody who's just kind of, you know, a recluse. They just kind of don't have any friends. There's nobody they do life with. They're just here. They don't have any co-laborers. Dude. That's the last guy you want to hang out with. And by the way, that holds true for you too, guys. Ladies, sisters in the Lord, co-workers. It all all applies both ways. You understand that, right? All three of these terms, brother, co-worker, and soldier, are describing some sort of relationship or community. I love what Judges chapter 20 says. It says, so all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. Wow, isn't that great? Isn't that a great picture? All the men came together as one man. And I read that over and over again, and I thought, man, What would happen if the men of this church came together as one man, woo, for the kingdom? That'd be unbelievable. If a couple thousand men came together as one for the cause of Christ, powerful. Listen, a godly man, a real man, understands that there's no such thing as lone rangers in the faith. There aren't any. No such thing. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, right? The wisest man that ever lived said that two are better than one, and three is even better. Jesus had a group of 12 guys that he hung out with. Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. All throughout the scriptures, you see this idea of relationship, don't you? Number four, not only do real men care about others, and not only do they work hard to maintain their integrity, not only do they understand the importance of relationship, but number four, real men, godly men, are willing to sacrifice. They're willing to sacrifice. 
Verse 25 says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that he heard that you heard that he was ill. And certainly he was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve for he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what, he, what you couldn't do for me from such a faraway distance. And I want you to look at that word risk. In the Greek, it literally means hazarding his life. It's a gambling term that means to stake everything you've got on a roll of the dice. Epaphroditus was God's gambler, and he gambled it all. He rolled the dice for the cause of Christ. He was willing to risk his life, sacrifice his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. Beloved godly men, real men, put the cause of Christ before their own comfort. In Acts chapter 21, there's this great story of the apostle Paul, and he meets up with another godly man who was a prophet by the name of Agabus. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to go into Jerusalem. And Agabus grabs Paul's belt and rips it off of him. And then he binds up his hands and his legs, and he says, hey, listen, the guy who owns that belt, if they go into Jerusalem, they're going to be thrown into prison. In other words, Agabus is saying, dude, don't do it. You're going to be thrown into prison. And it says this in verse 13. But Paul said, why all this weeping? What are you all bummed out about? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm not ready to only be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. I don't meet a lot of guys like that. Part of it is, I think, in our, you know, our culture, you know, in America, none of us are going to have to put our line, life on the line for the gospel. But do you know that there are places on planet Earth right now in the 21st century where literally people are dying right now because they're believers? I heard the story a number of decades ago in, 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 the, in the country of Bulgaria. There was a group of Christians that were meeting in a house 15 or so of them. And in Bulgaria, you just, at that time, you, you, you just, you couldn't be a Christian. I mean, you, you put your life on the line. Well, there came a moment when, you know, boom, these soldiers busted open a door and they came in with their rifles and they said, okay, if you're not a Christian, you need to get out of here right now. And five or six guys got up and ran out the door. They took their rifles, cocked them, loaded a bullet in the chamber, and they said, this is your last chance. If you're not a Christian, you better get out of here. And a few more guys got up and ran out, left about four guys. And these Bulgarian soldiers took the door, they shut the door, put their guns down and said, okay, good, we only want to worship with true believers. <laughs> yeah. Now here's the thing, I, I thought about that story. And, and, and Jeff, I was thinking, what if tonight, Someone busted down our door, some crazy guy, put guns to our heads. Really? You a true believer? Wow. 
Hard for us to even imagine that here in America, isn't it? But a real man, a godly man, you know what? Somehow their faith is to the point where, you know what, they're willing to sacrifice whatever for the, for, for, for the cause of Christ. By the way, Jesus said this. Jesus said, you want to be one of my disciples? Well, that's really great. Here's what it takes, Jesus said. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. And then you can follow me. And in our culture, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So let me make it a more modern day version. You need to deny yourself, take up your gas chamber, and follow me. You see, the take up your cross part, was that was how the Romans killed people. That was capital punishment back then. So what Jesus was saying is, you've got to deny you, and you've got to be willing to die. You've got to be willing to sacrifice it all. So here, it would be gas chamber or electric chair, maybe. Yeah. A godly man, a real man, gets it. The cause of Christ, wow, could cost you. And they're willing. They're willing to sacrifice greatly for the kingdom. In the church today, you know, I, some, some guys aren't willing to even sacrifice a weekend. It's football season, man. They're not even going to, you think that they're going to give up a football game to come to church? They won't even sacrifice that. Some guys won't sacrifice a nickel out of their back pocket. And here's Jesus saying, you want to be one of my followers, here's what it costs you. It might cost you your life. Today it seems as if men are willing to sacrifice for their careers or their business or their retirement or whatever, but the idea of sacrificing for the kingdom or risking it all for the kingdom, you know, rolling the dice for the kingdom, wow. Wow. It's just... It's just a foreign thought. In 2 Chronicles, I'll end with this. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those, strengthen those men whose hearts are fully committed to him. And somehow, I don't know how it works, but God looks over an auditorium like this. He looks over those of you in the venue. He's looking at your heart right now if you're in a car driving or if you're at home listening on the internet. He's looking at your heart and somehow he's looking and if he finds a guy who understands the, the importance of other people and cares about other people, when he finds somebody who's really working hard to maintain their integrity, when he finds somebody who, who understands the importance of, of having brothers and co-workers and fellow soldiers, they understand the importance of relationships, and they find a man who's willing to sacrifice it all, you know, it kind of has this idea that he stops. Yeah, there's a guy. Right. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Whew. Yeah. Whew. And it's that guy that somehow he comes upon and strengthens. And here's the deal. 
we, we have a room called the altar room, and there's one over in, in the venue. And the pastors and the elders are in that room, and, and we'd love to pray for you guys. And don't think that you're going to walk into that room and, and, and find condemnation, because you're not, because every guy in that room, uh, we're human. There are times every guy in that room hasn't loved people the way we, we should have. We don't always care about others the way we're supposed to because we're human. We get it. There have been times when every guy in that room, you know what? Our, our integrity has slipped a little. We get it. Those men aren't superhuman. Every one of those guys in that room has had moments in, in their lives when, when they weren't in fellowship, in relationship with others. We get it. Every guy in that room has had moments when, you know what, they didn't sacrifice probably the way Christ would wanted them to. We get it. We've all been there. And you'll find some guys in there, if you just go in and say, listen, my integrity, eh, let us pray for you. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. Uh, miracles happen in that room. And some of you ought to just go in there. Maybe a gala, you know, I, I don't know how, you, how, how the Lord has spoke to you. I know the Lord spoke to me this week as I was putting this together. I was thinking back to many times in my walk with the Lord when, man, wow, struggled with this or struggled with that, and I'm very thankful that I had people who prayed for me and cared about me, and that's what the altar room is for, and you ought to take advantage of it.